Our scripture passage for Pastor Tim's sermon today is from Daniel 4, 28 to 37. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers and his nails were like birds' claws. At the end of the day, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for my glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Thank you, Lori. How powerful is it to hear the Word of God preached? and to be spoken publicly, to be recited. Isn't it amazing just to sit under that and just let God's word just infiltrate your soul? I mean, I think it's just so amazing when we do that. And I love this part of the service when we get to just listen to God's word. Well, I hope you have your Bibles open. If you haven't opened them to Daniel chapter 4, can you do that right now? Let's all have our Bibles open. We are a people of God's word and we trust in the authority of that word, and we, we want to sit under it, let our souls marinate in it, and we want to obey it, we want to learn who God is. And we are in a series called God's Secret, Unsecret rather, Identity, the Unsecret Identity. What that basically means is that we want to know who God is, and he doesn't want to hide himself from his people. And he's revealing himself all the time, and we need to be in God's word to know him and to do what Isaiah says, behold your God. And that's really what this series is intending to do. Daniel chapter 4, while you're opening to Daniel chapter 4, let me tell you about Orlando Magic's 
center. His name is Jonathan Isaac. And if you're watching the NBA and if you're reading up on ESPN, then you probably know all about that, all about what I'm going to tell you. He is the first NBA player this season who would not kneel during the national anthem. He would not wear a Black Lives Matter shirt. Now, hold your thoughts for a second. Let me quote what Isaac said when he was interviewed, because he's been grilled by reporter after reporter and vilified by a lot of people. He gives his reason why he did not kneel, why he did not wear that shirt. And here's what he said, I'm quoting, I don't think kneeling or putting on a t-shirt for me personally is the answer. I feel like for me, black lives are supported through the gospel. All lives are supported through the gospel. Where's the amen on that one? We all have things that we do wrong. We all fall short of God's glory. Whoever will humble themselves and seek God and repent of their sins, we can see our mistakes and people's mistakes and evil in a different light. Racism, he said, isn't the only thing that plagues our society, our nation, our world. Now, I'm not telling you this story for political reasons, and I'm not telling you this as an indictment on Black Lives Matter or on anthem kneeling. I have nothing to do with that, and we all, we all should have amen when I read what Isaac said that Black Lives Matter. Amen? We should be a lot more vigorous on that, especially in today's age. We need to amen that. Why did I read this to you? It's because of what happened hours later as the magic played the Sacramento Kings and Isaac laid on the hardwood floor in pain with an injury that will take him out of the game for a year. It's going to dampen his hope of renegotiating his rookie contract for a lucrative deal. He's laying there clutching his knee just hours after this report, hours after that interview. And I'm wondering if he was thinking these thoughts. God, I stood for the gospel. I spoke to the world of Jesus Christ. I risked my image, my brand, my reputation, my career for your glory. Why did you allow this to happen to me? Now, I want you to think about this, Christian brother and sister. I want you to think about when terrible things happen in your life. What goes through your mind is what's going to inform your view of God. And we need to pay attention to those thoughts. And Jonathan Isaac, he might not ever get an answer to those questions if he was asking them. But there is an attribute of God that helps any of us find a way through difficult times. And that attribute is the sovereignty of God. So look with me at Daniel chapter 4. We're going to encounter this lofty attribute of God. We're going to begin at verse 28 that Lori just read. And here's how it begins. Daniel chapter 4, verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, have you ever done what I have done too many times? And that is 
come up upon two people in the middle of a conversation and in about 30 seconds give my opinion only to realize I had no idea what they were really talking about. Haven't you done that before? Hasn't somebody done that in your life before? It feels like we're kind of doing that in Daniel chapter 4, 28 because something has already been unfolding. Look what it says. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. What's all this? Something's already been going on. And if you're a student of God's word, you can't just start at verse 28 and think that you really know what you're, what you're reading. You've got to go back. You've got to be disciplined to find out what has been happening. So we're going to do that. If you go back to chapter 1, and you can kind of skim through it as I sort of give you a bit of a, a, um, a review of what's been happening, what all this is in verse 28. Daniel is a Jewish teenager do you understand that? He was a teenager, a very young man, when he was forcibly taken from Jerusalem to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar, he is the most powerful ruler of the most powerful empire on the planet at that time. And he happens to be an incredibly pride-filled man. Yet God gives Daniel favor. And along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and by the way, all four of their names were changed. They were changed into Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had original names, but that's customary when you are taken and you are made a slave to a king from another empire. They change your name. All four of them found favor. And look at verse 20 of chapter 1. The king found these four young men ten times. Did you ever catch that in reading Daniel? Ten times better than all the magicians, all the wise men, all the learned scholars in all of his kingdom. In this incredible kingdom, these four, by the king, were ten times wiser. I mean, that's huge. But soon, Nebuchadnezzar gets a very troubling dream, and he can't sleep. You probably have had a dream like that. And so he commands his wise men. Now listen to this. He commands all of the wise men in his empire to tell him what the dream was. You see, he's pretty smart. He knows they're just going to come up with an interpretation. He wants them to tell him what the dream was and then interpret it. And if they can't do it, which they can't, he threatens and he begins to carry out a dismemberment of all of them. He's going to tear them limb from limb and he's going to tear down their house. That means all of their families are going to be killed too. But Daniel hears about what, he's, what is happening and he makes an appointment with the king and he tells the king the dream. Can you imagine this? I mean, God gives him the supernatural ability. You got four of those young men, right? You got Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The, the latter three were really, really smart. They could really take a book, they could really learn from it, and they could really teach other people. But Daniel, unique from those three, the Bible says, had the ability to interpret dreams. That's not ability, ability that you're born with. That's not something you go to school to learn. That is a God-given supernatural gift. So Daniel interprets the dream. First, he tells Nebuchadnezzar, here's what you dreamed. 
And here's the interpretation for it. And Nebuchadnezzar's response is amazing. He's a pagan king. He demolished Jerusalem. He carted off the cream of the crop, made them slaves. But he praised the God of Daniel. And he gives Daniel a job promotion along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now hear this, you ready? But the king cannot shake his pride. Now, listen to this for a moment. All of us who struggle with pride, and by the way, that's you and that's me. Don't think you don't. If you think you don't, that's the evidence you do. Pride blinds you from itself. You cannot see it, neither can you smell your own bad breath. So pride is something that you need help detecting. The king could not shake his pride. He builds a 90-foot golden statue in his image. Now listen to this. He puts together a worship band. And every time the worship band begins, everybody that's hearing it is supposed to drop to their knees and bow before the image. He made a law that you had to do that. Remember those three friends of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They refuse. They're only going to bend the knee to one being, and that is God Almighty. They refuse, and the king, Nebuchadnezzar, takes a furnace. Babylon is famous for its brick production, and they made them in these gigantic furnaces. He takes a furnace. He has it superheated. He is so angry with them, and he has the three prisoners bound and thrown into the furnace. It's so hot that it kills the soldiers that had to throw them in. It immolates them, ignites them. They burn to death, but not those three. They're standing in the middle of the of the flames, and Nebuchadnezzar, he's looking into the opening of the furnace, and he says to his, the people around him, isn't there four people in there? And look, the fourth one, it's shining brighter than the sun. It's outshining the flames. That's Jesus. That's an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. And he is in the flames with those three. Now listen, that's a principle. Every trial you go through, God will be in it with you. Now if you don't believe that, then you've got to come back to know your God. Behold your God. He will never let you, Christian brother and sister, go through a difficulty that he will not be in it with you. And he calls the three out, Nebuchadnezzar does, and he again praises God. And he again promotes the three Jewish believers. Daniel is about as high as he could get. Now Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're given another job promotion. God just keeps blessing his faithful. And then you get to chapter 4. And it opens up on one of the greatest sections of praise and worship in the entire Bible. The king of Babylon gives glory to the most high God. And he begins to brag of him, not just to the Babylonians, not just to the people around him. He's addressing the entire world. Every human being on the planet hears about God. From the lips of a pagan king. But now he's got peace in his kingdom. He's got prosperity. 
And those are lethal in almost every soul because it will make you lax. It will make you let down on your pursuit of God and your convictions. And he has another bad dream and it shakes him to the core. And none of his wise men could interpret the dream. So again he calls for Daniel and Daniel again interprets it. And look at chapter 4 verse 24. Daniel tells him that the interpretation was a decree of the Most High, El Elyon, that was coming against Nebuchadnezzar because he had forgotten. Now listen, here's what it is. It's coming against, it's not for Nebuchadnezzar. It's a decree from God against Nebuchadnezzar. Why? Because he had forgotten, verse 25, that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. He forgot that God is sovereign. And he thought that he himself was the one that was sovereign. You see, the king just could not get the pride and the desire for personal glory out of his heart. And neither can we without the grace of God. And one of the antidotes to our demand for everybody to bow down and serve us, for everybody to be okay with our control, with our management of our lives and everybody around us, one of the antidotes is to know the sovereignty of God. Why? Because look at what it says in Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. That's where pride will take you. It will take you into destruction and into a fall. So what is God going to do? He's about to break Nebuchadnezzar's pride and we get a front row seat to see it all happen. Now that was all explanation of verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. I've got two points for you. Two points. Here's the first one. Pride makes us stand tall. Pride makes us stand tall. Now, if I can ask you to do something that is very, very courageous, it would be this. Just assume your heart is full of pride. Can you do that? Just assume that your heart is full of pride. I think we would be really, really wise to begin there. Let me get you back up to speed with Daniel 4. A year goes by. Remember that decree that Daniel gave against Nebuchadnezzar? A year goes by since he interpreted the dream. And all of a sudden we're encountering a principle. Are your ears attuned to this? Ready? This gives you hope. This gives me hope. God will graciously warn us before he disciplines us. He's not a reactive heavenly father. He's not going to fly off the handle and hit that cosmic smite button every time you displease him. If you are heading into sin, if your heart is full of pride, God will warn you. Now, you, could, you can avoid that warning or you can ignore that warning, but he will warn you. That is an absolute bedrock principle of the gospel. And God warned Nebuchadnezzar in verse 27. Daniel says to him, the word of God, break off your sins by practicing righteousness. That's his warning. So Nebuchadnezzar, full of pride, was warned. 
God was graciously beckoning him off the throne. He is on the throne. I'm the sovereign one. I'm the one that rules everything. And God is calling him off the throne, and he would not go. He would not repent. He ignores the warning in verse 28. He was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Do you hear the pride? Do you hear the personal pronouns? Listen, his heart is full of pride. And by the way, Babylon was truly great. It was a massive city. It spanned both sides of the Euphrates River. In fact, one Greek historian who lived 130 years after Daniel did, he wrote a book, and in that book he said that the city was built in a square, and the walls along each side traveled 14 miles each length, in total 56 miles of walls, it's 11 times bigger than Allentown. Now, whether that's accurate or not, it was a massive, massive city. And all around the city was a broad moat of water. And then you had two massive and wide and tall walls, and in between those two 25-foot-thick walls was a pile of rubble. It was almost impossible. In fact, it was impossible for an army to break through them. And inside the walls were the hanging gardens. It's one of the seven ancient wonders or one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. In fact, a little fun fact. Saddam Hussein, he's now been executed, but Saddam Hussein of Iraq offered a million and a half dollars to anybody that could replicate the watering system that Nebuchadnezzar had to water his terraced garden, the hanging garden. Nobody figured it out. It's an amazing city. Its glory filled the heart of the king, and he proclaims his own majesty. Did you notice what it says in verse 28? He was walking on the roof of the royal palace, and the king answered. The king answered who? The king answered himself. This is how you know you're prideful. You don't like counsel. You don't like other people speaking into your life. You will never go to counseling. You'll never submit to accountability. If that's you, you've got pride in your heart. This is the king. He's talking to himself, which is a lethal spiritual condition. And while the words were still in the king's mouth, verse 31, there fell a voice from heaven. This is God, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. You shall be driven from among men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time, seven years, shall pass over you until you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Now what I'm about to tell you is going to be probably the most difficult part of this message for all of us. And I think it might be part of the most important. Nebuchadnezzar, are you listening to this? Nebuchadnezzar is a picture of any of us if God's grace pulled away. 
and lets our hearts run amok. Every single one of us would be like a brute beast if our sinful flesh reigned unopposed by God. It is where humanity was. Nebuchadnezzar is a picture of where humanity was in Genesis 6-5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That is utterly depraved. All of us are totally depraved, meaning that sin runs into every part of our being. But not all of us, in fact, I would hope none of us, are utterly depraved, that we are as sinful as we could possibly be. Why? Because God's grace holds it back. But if he withdraws that grace, you've got Nebuchadnezzar. You've got Genesis 6. You've got the Amalekite people who doggedly killed over and over the children and the elderly of of Israel on their exodus journey. They were irredeemably set in their ways. It is the moral depravity of those who take children and sell them into the sex industry. It's those who are rioting right now, night after night, mindlessly destroying everything they can find. It's the politician who can discern no longer right from wrong. It's the tyrant who crushes his own people. This is Nebuchadnezzar. That's what he looks like when God pulls back his grace. And humility begins when we consent to the truth that if not for the grace of God, there is no level of depravity that you or I would descend to. If you cannot affirm that in your life, you do not understand sin. If not for the grace of God, there is no level, there is no sin that we would not be capable of committing. Not even the most heinous one that's running through your mind right now. And it's humility that finally blossoms in the heart of this beast of a king called Nebuchadnezzar. Point number two. God's sovereignty makes us bow down before him. Pride makes us stand tall. God's sovereignty makes us willing to bow down before him. I don't know any Christian who doesn't believe that God is sovereign. But I know a lot of Christians who haven't really thought through what that means, and I know some who struggle with its implications when they do. God declared in Isaiah 46, I alone am God. I am God, there is none like me. Only I can tell you the future before it happens. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. That's the sovereignty of God. Don't just picture God on the throne, and that encapsulates and summarizes everything you know about sovereignty. That's not robust enough. It is the God who sits over every power, the king of all kings, and is utterly free to do everything he wants. See, his sovereignty means he is enthroned above all powers. He always does what he pleases. He brings all things into accordance with his purpose and will. That's what it means that God is sovereign. Now, I'm really wondering if you can affirm that in your soul. And as I keep going, I'm almost done, but as I keep going, it's going to get a little bit harder. So to say that God is sovereign 
is to say what Psalm 135 says. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. It's to acknowledge that God is free and right to do what he pleases and to love him and to gladly submit to him as our rightful king. That's what it means when sovereignty grips your heart. And it's where Nebuchadnezzar finally comes to after seven years of pride-induced madness. Look at verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. Seven years go by. At the end of them, I lift my eyes to heaven. Now look at me for just a moment. This will be quick. Pride always. Listen, there is no exception to this. Pride always makes your eyes turn downward to everybody else that's below you, including God. Humility always lifts your eyes upward because everybody else is higher than you, most importantly, God. Pride moves you up. Humility voluntarily moves you down. He finally lifts his eyes to the heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will. Whatever pleases him is what it means. Among the host of heaven, among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand. None can say to him, what have you done? I, Nebuchadnezzar, verse 37, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. God is the rightful king. His dominion endures forever. He does according to his will, whatever he pleases. No one can rightfully question why. And you will know, listen, you will know that you are exalting your sovereign God when you can can affirm, when you can willingly affirm that God has the power and he has the right to do whatever he pleases in your life. And nowhere do you see a better picture of this than Jesus. Who in the Garden of Gethsemane is bleeding drops of sweat mixed with blood because his capillaries have burst. It's a stress-induced situation called hematridosis. He is on his knees. He is on his face. He is going to God, his Father. I don't want this cup. If there's any other way, let it happen. But he answers, and in his answer, he proclaims the sovereignty of his Father. Not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Now, let's just stop for a moment. I'm really close to being done. But let's just get applicable to your own life. Are you going through some difficult times? If you're not now, you will be. That's just the the curse of this earth. 
You're either in a storm of life, you just came out of one, or you're soon going to be going back into one. Listen, trials are a way of life. If you're young and you've had a fairly easy life so far, I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to warn you lovingly, I want to prepare you, there are going to be some extremely difficult times coming. And if you can behold your God now, you will be ready for those times. God is sovereign. He is above all powers. He has the right and the power to do all that he pleases, and he will conform everything in your life and in this world to his purposes and his will. If you could get that into your soul now, you can weather any storm. Jonathan Isaac, member of the Orlando Magic Center, He's laying on that hardwood floor, clutching his torn knee. He tore his ACL. It's a one-year recovery injury. And he's laying there, and he's faced with a choice. Will I trust my sovereign God in everything and serve him faithfully, even when difficulties come, even when my dreams are crushed? And that same question is going to confront you and it's going to confront me. Will we do the same when we encounter trials in life? Friends, maybe you need to lift your eyes like Nebuchadnezzar to the Most High. Maybe your heart needs humbling before him. And trust again that the only one who has the power and the right to do what he pleases is God Almighty, the Most High. High God. And may God's grace enable us to humbly serve our sovereign King and trust Him no matter what comes in our lives. Amen? That was weak, church. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Daniel chapter 4. I thank you, Father, for what you did in a pagan king's heart. Lord, if that doesn't give hope to Christians, I don't know what will. Father, you have the power to change our hearts. Lord, you warn us because your grace does that. When you see the pride in us, you let us know. But Father, if we will not change our ways, you will humble us. And when you do, we lift our eyes to the heaven, those same eyes that were looking down on everything in pride. We lift our eyes to heaven in humility and we proclaim and exalt our God is the most high God. Jesus Christ reigns forever. Father, I pray that we would learn that now. Let us behold our God now and be ready for the trials that are coming. May we proclaim your sovereignty, your power and your right to do whatever pleases you and your ability to bring all things into conformity with your purposes and will. We love you. We thank you, Jesus, that your name is above all names. You are the king of all kings. You sit on your throne and you rule over everything. You are our good, sovereign God. And it is your name that we lift up. Amen.